Bibles and turn to 1 John. 1 John, we're going to be looking at the first four verses in 1 John before we actually read our text. Um, I recall back to my high school years, and my first real job was working as a sandwich artist. Okay, that, that almost sounds like a fancy art, like a fancy term. What it was, I was an employee at Subway. Okay, so I did that for a couple years and even did that on my college breaks for at least a couple years as well, just like Jonathan's been working at Chick-fil-A. Um, and I recall one day, um, I was closing. I was usually one of the closers, so our store closed at you know, 11 o'clock, whatever time it was. Then you still have to put stuff away, you have to lock up, all that good stuff. So it was late at night, I was driving back to our house and we got, I got to the place where I was almost home and there was a stop sign and there was a pretty major highway that separated me from the two or three blocks from my house. As I was at the stoplight, or stop sign, I'm looking both directions and I see some headlights that are clear up the highway. And I just remember thinking that there was something kind of weird about it, but I didn't really know why I thought it was weird. So I just continued on, got home, went to bed. The next morning, I found out that there had been an accident right up the highway. And what had happened, there had actually been a motorcycle carrying a father and mother, and they had unknowingly, they just didn't see the semi or whatever, but they had pulled right under the semi and they were both killed. So what I had seen, what didn't really fully register, I saw a headlight, I saw the semi's headlights, and it all happened right about that time when I was there and unbeknownstly to me, I was a witness of this crash. I had seen something with my eyes, and even though my eyes didn't fully register what was going on, I, I was an eyewitness to what had happened. Perhaps you've been in a scenario in which you've been a witness. You've been an eyewitness. Maybe it's something that you saw. Maybe it's something that you heard. Maybe it's something that you handled. Maybe it was a unique smell. It could have been any one of those things, but perhaps you can think back to an instance in which you were a witness. I've been a witness to a few other crashes throughout the years, and most of those involved myself. Not that, I mean, you don't have to really steer clear of me in the parking lot, I don't think, but um, one time I was a passenger in one, one time I smoked a deer that ran across the highway, and then another time I was just kind of T-boned um, as well. But you can remember those things. You saw things, you heard things, maybe you felt things if you've ever been a witness, or if, especially if you've been in an accident. Well, we're going to look at our text here, and we're going to look at someone who was close to Jesus, someone who was an eyewitness. And they're writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and they say this in 1 John 1. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. 
And as we look at this text, we're going to do a little bit of background on this uh, first before we dive in a little bit more. But there's three points that I really want you to see from this text. The first is that there is one God. There's one God and Jesus is God. The second point would be that Jesus became flesh. The Son of God became man. And there's ramifications because of that. Third, fellowship with others is based around your fellowship with God. Fellowship with others is based around fellowship with God. Okay, so let's dive in a little bit more as we see the writings of John. And Phil read the passage and one that you guys have taken a look at, but there's a lot of similarities, right, between how he starts out this prologue, these first four verses in 1 John, to what he wrote in his Gospels. And I want us to see just a, a really quick background of the fact that uh, the Trinity, the fact that Jesus is God, and it's not something that's contrived. It's not something that was decided at a council hundreds of years after Jesus came. It is all throughout the Bible. You see the words of 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4, the verses that Phil read in John 1, 1 through 14. Isn't it reminiscent of the way that the Bible started as Moses penned the words, In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. You see... The way the Bible begins, the story begins with a God who is outside of anything that was. And this God enacted. This God breathed and he out came stars, out came planets, out came life. There was a God outside of time and space and this God created. And as you read the words of John and his gospel and here in 1 John, I mean, there's a whole lot of similarities in the ways that he chooses to communicate. You see, even in Genesis 1, chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Isn't it interesting that this one God, that even in the second verse of the Bible, you have mention of the Spirit of God. In Genesis 1.26, still in the very first chapter of this foundational book of the Bible in Genesis beginnings, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. So from the very beginning, we see in the Jewish people, they were a monotheistic people. The fact that there was one God, and yet from the very beginning, you begin to see little pieces that, okay, there's one God, but somehow there's a spirit of God and somehow there's a plurality. He's referring to let us make man in our image. You see one of the key passages in the Old Testament, in the first five books of the Bible, you have Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's a passage called the Shema passage. Deuteronomy 6.4 was almost like the, the mantra or the doctrine or the cry of the Jewish people. And it said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. One. They were a monotheistic people. All throughout the ages, they have believed that there was one God. It's interesting. For God to say for thousands of years that there's one God and that no one can become a god, and then to suddenly reverse course in New Testament times and say that there's three gods? Well, that would make God a liar. 
That's changing the very character of who he is, about his nature and about his character. God didn't stutter or lie. There's one God in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You see, there's other verses. We were looking in Isaiah over our Advent season leading up to Christmas. I'd like to read just a couple verses in Isaiah um, 44. Isaiah 44, 6 says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. In Isaiah 45, verse 5, God said this, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. Okay? So there is one God. And then for John, you know, John is writing this gospel. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was known as the beloved disciple. And he opens up his gospel and he says, In the beginning was the Word. Well, who is that word referring to? Verse 14 in that text gives us insight. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. Remember this same God that was outside of creation before there was time, before there was space. There was a God who existed from eternity past and he will exist into eternity future. This God, the same was in the beginning with God and the same was God. This word, this Jesus, was not a created being. He did not come into existence with the birth of the Virgin Mary. He had already existed for ages because he was God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who have existed in perfect unity as one being and three persons. Okay, so I want to give us just a little bit of that background as we look into our text here this morning. I think it's important because um, John is getting across something that it is really, really important about who you think Jesus is. It's really important that you don't just give lip service. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, what Jesus do you mean? Because God has revealed himself in Jesus, who became flesh and dwelt among us. But he's also revealed himself in creation. And he's revealed himself even more specifically in his word, the Bible, under the inspiration of the Spirit. So he says this, That which was from the beginning... And then he gets into, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. And I want you to put a finger there in 1 John for just a second and turn back with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 in his gospel, um, it says this in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. This is after Jesus was crucified. He's now risen again. His disciples are trying to figure out what to do with life. The guy who they've given their lives to over the last three years, they've seen him crucified outside the city of Jerusalem on a cross with criminals. It says the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Skip down to verse 24. Now Thomas, this is how this guy gets the nickname Doubting Thomas. One of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands in his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, How do you think Jesus knew that conversation and the thoughts of Thomas? Because he's God. He's omniscient. He knows. He is everywhere. He said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You see, the disciple John, as he's writing this under the inspiration of the Spirit, he's writing from someone who was an eyewitness. He was there. He was there during the years in which Jesus called him. He was there. He saw all the miracles that Jesus performed. He saw Jesus never sin. He saw Jesus heal the lame heal the diseased. He saw it all. He saw it. He heard it. He touched Jesus. And he writes this. And he says, the life was made manifest. And again, um, it says, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. And again, this is tying in with, again, the fact that Jesus was not just a man. He didn't become God. He didn't progress and do enough stuff to get to be God. He was always God. He was eternal life. Okay, and the fact that there was one God and he showed up in Jesus at just the right time. But he'd always been. He's referring to the fact that there's one God and that Jesus is God. But the, the other point that he's getting at is point number two. The fact that Jesus became flesh. The incarnation, that's a word that we use that says that Jesus became man. That's what Christmas was all about. The Advent season, which means coming. It was all pointing to the fact that there had been prophecies for years, hundreds of years before, that were pointing to the fact that there would be a virgin, Mary, who would, without ever having a physical relationship with any man, would become pregnant. A virgin would conceive of the Holy Spirit and that she would give birth and that they would name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Prophecies had pointed to it, the fact that God would come in his plan at just the right time and he'd come ultimately to die. He'd come because of his great love for sinful humanity just like you and me. And he'd come to live the sinless life that we have not lived. And ultimately, he would come to die the death and bear the wrath and punishment of God upon sin that was placed on the shoulders of innocent Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. 
And I know it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around, okay, how do you have someone that's 100% God and still 100% man? How do we fully wrap our minds around the fact that uh, the Trinity? And it's, it's a little difficult, isn't it? And yet you've got to go and you've got to piece together how God reveals himself through his word, the Bible. There's clues. There's things all along the way. And you've got to, again, not take my word for it. Don't take Phil's word for it. Don't take another church's word for it. Dive in and read it. Study it. Examine the evidence. And hopefully you'll come to those conclusions as well, because what you believe about Jesus matters for your eternity. Jesus became flesh. Now, this is a big deal. As John writes this, the life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. You see, this has ramifications that are vastly important because all of a sudden this is meaning that, okay, one, there is a God. It means that, okay, God is actually intimately involved in his creation. And not only that, but he came in a real historical figure who is called Jesus, a Jewish man. And this has ramifications for you and me. Right? Because Jesus made claims that he was God. Okay, so we've got to evaluate, are his claims, are his life, is what he did, is it legitimate that we can put faith in that Jewish God-man? And if so, then all of a sudden, there's real ramifications. What he said really mattered. When he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, then that statement matters. And then all of a sudden, you can't just, ah, you know, you just, you just worship whatever God makes you feel good. It's not just, well, you just worship whatever God and, you know, you come around this side of the mountain, I'll come around this side of the mountain, and, you know, we'll all get to the same place. No, all of a sudden, Jesus' words really matter because this is God in flesh who dwelt among us. So what do you do with Jesus? It, it's hugely significant. You must submit to, to what this man said, to what he did. Um, his words have real bearing on your relationship with God because he was God. Let's continue on in our passage. It says this, John, as he says this, they, he saw stuff, he heard stuff, he touched the sides of Jesus and his nail-pierced hands. And then he says this, it was made manifest to us and we proclaim. In verse 3, which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So if this is you, if this is a description of you, the fact that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've come to this crossroads in which you see, okay, this historical figure, Jesus, he wasn't just a man, but he was also God. And he bore the penalty for my sins on that cross outside of Jerusalem. And not just that, but three days later, he really rose again. 
And there's evidence that points to this. Historical evidence, literary evidence, all these kind of things. The evidence of changed lives. By the way, let me take just a real quick detour. John, he was like the one disciple that died a, a normal death, died of age. And it wasn't because people didn't try to kill him. But you look at all the other disciples, if they, if they knew that Jesus was a legend, if they knew he was just a spirit, if they knew they wouldn't have given their lives to it and died martyrs' deaths, every single one of them, except for John, for that. And isn't it interesting that you saw the state of his disciples when he, when he was arrested, they scattered, they're probably looking at the crucifixion from the crowds, but they're trembling, they're gathered together, they're wondering what to do, they're cowardly, um, they don't want to be arrested by the Romans as well, they don't want to be put to death, and then all of a sudden something changes and galvanizes them together, and it's the risen Jesus. And all of a sudden these eclectic band that Jesus had called to himself became strong. They became courageous. And within 40 days, the Holy Spirit had come upon them and they went out from Jerusalem, not anymore cowering behind locked doors, but they went out and they began saying, Jesus is risen. And they said it even when it cost them everything. They said it because it mattered. They knew the risen Jesus. And what did they do? They, they proclaimed it. They proclaimed it. And I think this is one piece of um, application for us. If you've made this commitment, if you've crossed that line of faith and you've put your life all in on Jesus, you said, yes, he's God. Yes, he's the only one that could do something about my sin. I believe. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to walk with him the rest of my days. If that's you, proclaim it. Proclaim it. This is, this is important. You, you walk around and you see people that are lost. You see people all around you that don't know what to do with Jesus. You see people all around you that don't believe rightly about how God has proclaimed himself to be. Proclaim it. God has given each and every one of you um, sources of touch points with people. He's given you jobs. He's given you neighborhoods that you live in. He's given you classmates if you're in school. He's given you maybe sports teams, um, things of that sort, touch points in which you have opportunities to speak the truth about Jesus and pro just proclaim it. The things that you've seen the things that you've heard the difference that Jesus has made in your life proclaim it and we see this uh, as John finishes up what he's saying let me read verse 3 that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us okay I think he's referring to the other disciples the apostles however you want to say it but the real touch point, the real correlation of how they can have fellowship is, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He uses this word fellowship. It's a Greek word. Um, it means koinonia. Maybe you've been somewhere and you've come across the trendy coffee shop that says koinonia. That means fellowship. 
And it's more than just, I know sometimes churches uh, historically, they'll say, okay, after church, we're going to have a fellowship. Well, it's really deeper. It's a deeper um, level of having the same thing in common. In common, being partners with, and it's that common denominator that Christians have. You can have fellowship with another person. You can have the very same deep root life goal and meaning because of the fellowship that you have with God. The fact that you as a sinner, someone who had been very separate and distant and apart and at war with God, how now you have oneness with God and he's in fact given you his spirit to live inside of you. It's that kind of intimate fellowship that you can have with other believers and it's because it's based in being reconciled to a holy and righteous God. That's what fellowship is. He says, we as disciples, we as apostles, we have this with one another, but it's all based on because of our relationship with the Father, who was through the true life, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And then he writes, and he um, concludes this little prologue, and he says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, joy is one of those things that it's not fleeting. It's like a perpetual state of life. And yes, emotions, it's more than an emotion, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It's that even when life seems like it's spinning out of control and you don't feel happy, you didn't just open up the Christmas gift that you'd really been wanting and it makes you happy, it makes you smile. Like joy is just something that doesn't fluctuate. It's inner peace. It's knowing you have fellowship with God. It's knowing God and knowing that you're known by God. And again, one of the key things that, that John is writing about, I think it's the key verse in this whole letter. In verse chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And another way of looking at that, to know that you have fellowship. You have fellowship with God. And that you have fellowship with other believers because of the change that God has done in your life. Um, fellowship. And this is one of those things that, you know, if you've ever gone on a vacation or something or maybe gone on a missions trip and you've ended up in a, a different church, Maybe you've ended up in a, in a church in a whole different country in which you can't even understand the language, but there's something that you just kind of feel, even aside from the cultural and language barriers, you just feel that there's something that knits your soul to theirs. Why is that? I think it's because of this. It's because you have the same Holy Spirit of God that has come and changed you from the inside out. Not because you were a good person, not because you did this list of stuff, because you simply bent the knee and surrender to God. He said, I believe, I receive your sacrifice on my behalf. I exchange and I give you all my sin, all my filth, all my unrighteousness, and somehow you give me your righteousness. What an exchange. So in conclusion, a couple things with this. I would say, what have you done 
with Jesus? Do you believe, even doctrinally, do you believe rightly about who he is? Do you believe the things that the Bible is saying, the fact that Jesus has always been? He always will be, and he, at just the right time, became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you believe those things? Secondly, along with that, with believing and knowing rightly correct doctrine about who Jesus is, have you surrendered? Have you given your life to him? If you haven't done that, talk to us. We want to point you, not our wisdom, but we want to point to you from the Bible how you can know that you have eternal life, the very goal of why John wrote this letter, that you may know, that you can have confidence that when you die, whether it's on a motorcycle and you shift lanes without looking in your blind spot, or whether it's at the ripe old age of 100, whenever that may be, you have confidence knowing that you'll depart this life and be in the presence of God. Do you have that? And then thirdly, I would say, just as John, one of his goals was, hey, I write these things to you so that you may believe. Does your life, does it really manifest this kind of goal of, hey, you know what? I'm here. I have these touch points in the community with work, neighborhoods, all those kind of things. What am I doing with that? Do I really love people enough to want to have this intimate kind of fellowship with them that can only come through a person being a believer in Jesus? If so, you got to make, you got to proclaim it. You got to make it known. You've got to live the kind of life that backs up what your words are saying. Do you live a life that manifests and shows that you're in Christ? By the way, there's times we're going to fail at that, right? We're going to mess up. We're going to sin. We're going to say things that we shouldn't. We're going to think things that are sinful. And yet, God's Spirit within us will prick us. It will convict us. It won't leave you alone when you're in sin. And you confess it, and you move forward. And you rejoice in the forgiveness that you have in Jesus Christ. And you rely on His power and His strength to continue in the Christian life. So let's make his name known so that God would receive the worship that he is due in our homes, in Farmington, in Centerville, in Bountiful, Kaysville, and in this part of Utah, that he would get the worship and the glory that he, our great God, deserves. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are.